Man, you guys got quiet quick. My name is Candy Chant, and we are doing a session on becoming a welcoming church. Um, this is probably one of the most important topics, and, um, and, and we'll get into the reasons that. Let me first introduce myself. I said my name. Uh, we'll put up a picture of my family because they're way better looking than I am. So uh, I've been married to my wife, Carrie, for 22 years. We have three teenage children, so pray for me, y'all. Oh, man, I'm telling you, I need all the intercession I can get. Our oldest is a senior in high school this year, and let me tell you, it is real. Um, but no, he's, they're all good kids. They're all involved in our church, and we love them. I pastor uh, Journey Church in Fremont. And uh, if you're not familiar where Fremont is, we are right there. If you take the turnpike, we are right between Sandusky and Toledo. And I've been there. Um, we're actually celebrating our 16th birthday, March 26th or whatever. And so, uh, yeah, come on, right? Come on. And so we start, my wife and I started Journey. We did it the wrong way. So now if you start a church, they encourage you to bring a team with you. And we were, they, back in the day, they called it a parachute drop. And it's pretty much exactly that. They like dropped us in Fremont. We didn't know one person in the county. It was me, my wife, my two-year-old son, and she was pregnant with my daughter. And uh, we, just, we just started knocking on doors and, um, and just trying to serve our community. One of the first things we did, I'm going to close this door if that's all right with everybody. Just, we'll get that. I am so ADHD that every time somebody walks by there, I'm seeing it. So we just tried to serve our community. One of the first things when we moved there, we moved there July 1st, and we heard about a county fair. And I got to tell you a little bit about Sandusky County. How many of you are from a rural area? Oh, yeah, you are my people. So um, Sandusky County has, uh, at the most, and it's probably less than this by now, 59,000 people for the entire county. Fremont is the, the center of our county. And so, um, I mean, it, it's rural, and when we moved there, we're like, what, what are the things? And we heard right away the county fair is like a big deal. Now, we had been in Pittsburgh for six years, and so we're like, county fair? Like, that's like from TV, right? So we went to the county fair, and I charged on my credit card $1,000 worth of uh, cases of bottled water, and we got a table at the county fair, and we just started handing out bottles of water to people, and we had them in coolers of ice, so while I was taking a bottle out and drying it off with a towel, I'd use that as the excuse of striking up a conversation. Hey, what's your name? Tell me his name. And I'd be like, hey, do you go to church anywhere? And if he said yes, because most people, especially in a rural area, will tell you that they go to church somewhere, right? So the follow-up question was, oh, yeah, yeah, what's the name of the pastor there? And if they didn't know the name of their pastor, I was like, they're fair game. <laughs> it, fishing season's on, right? And so, seriously, like, we'd be like, hey, we're starting up this church, and, and we started out just as a Bible study, and, and so if you come from a small church, I know all about that for the first, um, you know, first year, maybe we're around 30 people, second year, around 50 people. We didn't get above 150 people for the, until seven years into it. So if you're here and you're like, man, all these other speakers are, you know, pastoring larger churches, I totally understand that. I totally get, I mean, we were able to do attendance without any kind of attendance, folks. I just knew the seven people that were at our <laughs> service, right? And you just, sometimes, sometimes you just got to do that, right? And so, but here, here's the thing of why becoming a welcoming church is so important is because people matter. And we all get that. I mean, you're sitting there going, I hope he says something that's more profound than that today. But, but, you know, think about the stewardship that we have when someone walks through the doors of our church, and especially when someone walks through the doors of our church who don't know Jesus. And increasingly what we're finding is that there are so many people, even in rural America, who don't know anything about Jesus. It blows my mind. My wife is a librarian at our local elementary school. And so she was our inroad to getting into our local schools. And so we sat down with our superintendent of schools and we said, hey, how can we just serve you guys? Like, we're not here to, this isn't a bait and switch. We just want to serve you. And so they said, hey, how about you guys start by having greeters at, our, at the school, at the elementary school, that when the buses are unloading the kids, that there's someone between the buses unloading the kids and, and them going into their classrooms. And so we said, sign us up. So we started having greeters at the elementary school, and then they were like, okay, we see you guys are safe and somewhat normal. You're not too weird. And so they invited us to start mentoring. And so we, for the last 
five, six years, COVID kind of interrupted that a little bit. We've been, we've, we have about a dozen, 15 adults that'll come in. Some of them do more than one student where we just sit down with a student for a half an hour. It's not tutoring. We just, we just sit down with them. I usually have three games, Uno and a couple other games. And we're just like, hey, we, I just want to sit down with you and give you undivided attention. My phone isn't on. Nobody's going to be interrupting me. I'm going to be looking you in the eyes. And these kids like melt because they don't have anybody else giving them that kind of attention, right? And so I was, I was sitting down with a kid, and, uh, and, and this is all off notes. We're not getting into our notes yet. But I was talking to this kid once, and, uh, and you know, we're not supposed to proselytize. That's one of the agreements, right? Like, we're not supposed to go in there and, and take him down Romans Road and do all that. But I was sitting down with this kid named Daniel, and uh, he's a third grader in the elementary school. And Daniel has a home life that's just so dysfunctional, right? And this little third grader, uh, I said, so who are you with this weekend? And he goes, well, I was with my dad, but my dad's homeless, so he took us to my aunt's house. And I said, well, how was that? And he goes, oh, I can't handle being at her house. And I said, well, why can't you handle being at her house? And he, he goes, because her house is demon-possessed. I was like, there's my open door, right? I said, Daniel, do you know who's more powerful than demons? And he goes, no, who's more powerful than demons? And I said, Jesus. And he goes, who's he? <laughs> Rural America, right, guys? I mean, rural America. And so when these people walk through the door, and so I told them about Jesus and told them, and, and we just had a great conversation. But here's the thing. When people walk through the doors of our church, man, we don't even know what they're carrying with them. We don't know the hurts. And so it is so important that we are welcoming. It is so important. I was thinking about uh, a guy named Caleb, and he's 24 years old. Caleb, God has not been on his radar at all. I mean, think about back when, some of you, it's not as hard, who are younger in the room, but some, I mean, when you're 24 years old, like, you just know everything about everything, right? No offense. Uh, and and so, so here's Caleb, he's 24 years old, has never gone to church, God isn't on his radar, he's working a local manufacturing job, didn't go to college, went straight, like, in a lot of rural America, right, went straight from high school into working in manufacturing, and uh, he's just going, living his best life, and all of a sudden his dad gets diagnosed with cancer. His dad isn't even, I mean, his dad is like 50s, uh, isn't even near retirement, really. And all of a sudden Caleb's world is rocked, and God wasn't on his radar, but now he's got a curiosity, right? He wants to know about God. So he decides he's going to go to church, and he decides he's going to go to your church. Now, I've got to ask you the question, what is Caleb thinking and what is Caleb feeling He's never been to church before as he drives into your church driveway and he's about to park his car. Like, what is he thinking? What is he feeling? Yeah. High anxiety, right? I mean, he's never been in this building. He doesn't know what's going to go. Are they sacrificing animals in there? Are they going to, when's a snake going to come out? Like what? Yeah. A lot of them are familiar with darkness. A lot of them, you know, they know all about darkness. What, what else would he be feeling? Fear. Yeah. Fear. Fear of everything, right? Like, are they, are they going to like me? Are they, uh, where do I sit? What do I do, right? What, what else? Any other emotions? What's that? Confusion. Absolutely. Someone else over here. Anger? Yeah, maybe anger that his dad was diagnosed with cancer and, like, where is God and all that, right? Yeah, over here. Anxiety? We can say it a couple times because that's exactly what he's feeling. Yeah, he's got questions. Right, so he's coming in with questions. What else? Not being, not being accepted. Are they going to accept me? What were you saying, sir? Hope. Yeah, so maybe there's a sense I'm coming here because I'm hoping that there's going to be an answer, right? I mean, it's a whole reason why he got up earlier than he would ever get up on a Sunday morning and come to church, right? I want, so, so for us, and don't, don't get mad at me. I'm about to use an analogy that some of you are going to be like, whoa, pastor. Uh, do they know that you said that in this, in this room? But if you were deciding to go in Toledo, I'm near Toledo. We're about 35 minutes outside of Toledo. Toledo has a great big mosque. If, you, if maybe a neighbor had been pounding you, hounding you to go to, to the mosque in Toledo, and you were about to walk into the mosque, like, what would you be thinking? Or maybe a mason, a mason meeting, a Freemason meeting. Like, what would you be thinking? I, I get enough anxiety when my wife wants me to go to a high school class reunion. <laughs> and that's in a hotel 
and it's going to be chicken or beef, and there's going to be a DJ playing music, and I have a pretty good idea of what's going to go on. But I get enough anxiety just with that, let alone. So we've got, we've got to think about these individuals who are walking into a church and remember what that feels like because people matter. And if someone walks through the doors of our church, man, we should feel a sense of stewardship. So we're going to talk about 12 areas. And then I'm hoping to leave plenty of space, not just even for questions, but I'd love to even hear like how you guys are welcoming people into your churches. But here are 12 areas to consider. The first one is the Holy Spirit. And I don't just say that because this is an Assemblies of God event. But listen, if we're going to be a welcoming church, the Holy Spirit has to be a priority in our churches. Presence before programs, right? And so the question is, and, and uh, you know, just think about this. We won't do this one out loud, but just how are you welcoming the Holy Spirit into your church services? You know, our, we welcome our friends, we invite our friends, but are our friends coming into an environment where the heavens are opened? You know, Caleb needs to come in, and he needs to not just hear good music and hear, you know, someone like Oprah, you know, speaking just a general generic message. Like, Caleb... If, if he's feeling this hopelessness, he needs to walk in and he needs to sense and experience the presence of Jesus Christ, right? So as a church leader, we need to prioritize praying personally for our services. We need to make sure our ministry teams are praying. You know, a lot of you have uh, groups. Uh, I, I met a couple security team people over here, and some of you maybe help out with greeting. At our church, we do something called huddles before we go out and serve. So 30 minutes before the church service starts, all of our volunteers in different areas are huddling together, and it's just, hey, what do we need to know? Which should take about 30 seconds, and then let's pray together. Everybody's praying. We're praying before, we're pray we have prayer meetings during the week on Wednesdays where we're just praying. We're not praying for Aunt Linda's hangnail. We're praying for our community. We're praying for our church services. We're praying for our nation, for our world, because we want God to show up, right? So we don't have to choose between welcoming the Holy Spirit or welcoming spiritual explorers. We've got to do both. And sometimes in church world, I hear people who present it as a binary choice, right? Like either we are, you know, we, we are welcoming the Holy Spirit or we're welcoming the seekers. And I'm here to say we can do both and. We can, we must be welcoming to the Holy Spirit. But we can be welcoming to the Holy Spirit without being insensitive, without being an idiot to the people that God is bringing into our midst, right? And so we've got to do both. In fact, the Holy Spirit helps us to be welcoming, right? I mean, I think the classic uh, passage of Scripture is Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 25, um, Paul talks about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. He says, in fact, he uses that exact language. He says, you, follower of Jesus, you must keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Well, right before that, he gives the attributes of what will happen when we're walking with the Holy Spirit, right? That the Holy Spirit will produce fruit in our lives, love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now think about those nine fruit of the Holy Spirit that most of us knew. Some of you are all reciting them with me. Think about those attributes. I would challenge you, every one of those nine attributes are welcoming attributes. Self-control is a welcoming, it's saying it's not about me, it's about thee, right? I mean, we all know love is. We know joy is a welcoming attribute. Peace in the world in which we live in, peace is a welcoming. Gentleness, in the world we live in, if you've been on social media lately, gentleness is a welcoming attribute, right? So we must have the Holy Spirit. And this isn't, this isn't just something that, that it's, we've got to be constantly looking for how do we welcome the Holy Spirit. I think it was, who, who's from Lima? I just met somebody. You guys are from Lima. I love you guys do, is it first Wednesday, like fasting and praying? And we actually totally ripped that off in our church a couple months ago. And so now on the first Wednesday of every month, we're calling our whole church to fast and pray for that day. We're having extra prayer services above what we already do on those days. And, and why? We're praying, we're interceding for the lost. God, we want you to send the lost. We ripped it off. Did you too? So I think there's a consensus. We all can rip it off, right? Maybe you can be original and call it Second Wednesday. <laughs> there we go. Okay, so the first thing that we, I mean, if we're going to be a welcoming church, this can't be a, a leftover thought. It has to be primary, the Holy Spirit. Number two is humility. And so here's the thing when it comes to becoming a welcoming church. We all 
And, and maybe you don't think you do, but science tells us that most of us, or all of us, believe that we are above average. And we think we're above average in everything. One of the most humorous um, stats that I saw is uh, some uh, 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 researchers went into hospitals and they were specifically interviewing people who had been hospitalized in a car accident that was their fault. Okay, so did you get all that? I know that was a whole mouthful. Hospitalized because of a car accident that was their fault. And they asked them to rate themselves of how good of a driver they are. And what you know it, that they all almost unanimously rate themselves as being above average. We all, but statistically, we all can't be above average, right? We all, so sometimes when we hear about like becoming a welcoming church, we're like, well, our church is welcoming. And I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm just saying we have to have the humility to recognize that there may be areas that we can grow in, right? In fact, it's funny. I didn't choose to do this course. Uh, Sarah House uh, called me up a, a, a while back and she said, hey, uh, Synergy, I want you to do a session on becoming a welcoming church. And I got off the phone and I was like, Sarah House wants us to do a, we must be a really welcoming church, right? And then I, so I started researching it, I started looking at it, and the more I researched and read about it, the more I was like, oh, snap, like, we, we are not a welcoming church. Like, I'm going to tell you guys some stuff that, that we've actually, and Chris is from our church back there, and we're like going, okay, we got to up our game. Like, we, we have got to be more welcoming. So how do we practice humility? By listening to others. Ask questions of others. Ask people about their experiences. You may, you may need to be specific about the questions that you're asking. Ask a friend who doesn't attend your church to come sometime on a Sunday morning and to give you an honest assessment about the points we're going to talk about. Um, I was reading this from Richard Rising, and he said this. He said, avoid relying solely on self-evaluation. I think that's how most of us, when we, when we think about, oh, we're a welcoming church, that's all self-evaluation, right? He goes on, he says, I cannot tell you how many churches will say, quote, we do all those things well, but they aren't getting anywhere. Then, when someone from the outside steps in to evaluate, a world of disconnect becomes apparent. And so we practice humility by, by recognizing that we don't, we don't see everything the way that it needs to be seen, right? I mean, how many of you uh, uh, maybe bought a house like in the last 10 years? Anybody bought a house in the last? Do you remember when you bought that house? And maybe you bought it. You, oh, you're the man. Thank you. <laughs> uh, when you bought it, like you saw the flaws, right? You saw the things. Maybe you made a list. Like I had an Evernote list of all the things I was going to fix on my house, you know, after I went through it. Oh, we're going to take care of this. We're going to take care of that. And then you know what happens? We move in. And we live there a while, and after a while, I don't even see those things anymore, right? The same thing is true of our Sunday morning experiences. We get so, we get so wrapped up, and we think, we think everything we're doing is like A+, top-notch, above average. And then when we start talking to people, we go, oh, maybe we could do a little better in this area. One of the best things you can do is get a friend, and I mentioned this, get a friend, and maybe even from this room, say, hey, sometime when you're not at your church, would you come to our church? And we'll pay you 50 bucks or we'll pay you whatever for gas. And would you just sit through our service and then give us an honest assessment of how you are welcomed? And you might, that might be the best 50 bucks you ever spend, right? Right? Okay, let's keep going. Here's the third area is your website. And uh, I was just in a session with Lance Probsky and he was talking about websites. But this is so important. Like most people will search for your church online and look at your website and or social media before attending. So how... First of all, how does your church show up on Google? You should, you should monthly, especially if you're involved in first impressions in your church, once a month just set a reminder to just Google churches in Circleville or churches in, you know, wherever, where, uh, uh, Oberlin or where, wherever you are. Just, and, and just see where does Google put your church? Are you even on the first page? Um, one of the things we just did this past Sunday, and it's part of, part of the thing I'm doing today, is we asked our church, hey, would you go on to Google and would you, um, would you rate our church? Because when they, when they do that, it, it helps Google to think that we're a church we're showing to other people, right? Here's what we find. Most people who go to church now are Googling about a church before they actually come to your church. Right? It just may, and you would do the same thing, right? You would Google a restaurant before you go to a restaurant. You would Google most things before you would actually go to it. So we need to just pay attention. What are they seeing when they're on Google? How are people rating it? Is your website up to date? Does it have accurate information? 
So I was talking to a guy who, uh, regarding a website, and he went to a church's website. He moved into a community. He's looking for a church. He went to a church's website and, and double-checked the times of the services, went to the, went to the service the very next day, and he was a good 15, 20-some minutes late, right? And so, so he, he, he's talking to me. He's like, well, what time does your church start? Well, they had, they had changed their times without changing their website, and he, he felt, this is what he told me. He goes, I felt so embarrassed. Now, he wasn't even wrong, right? right? He, he, he's just following what he saw on the website. But for him, the emotion that he felt in that moment was embarrassment that he came in late. And I said, would you ever go to that church again? And he says, no. Everything else could be perfect, but because he came in late because of following their website, he just said, I just felt so embarrassed. One of the most important things about your websites, and I, I, I'm, I'm from rural America, so I see church websites where they've spent tens of thousands of dollars on their websites, and we don't have the money to spend that, okay? We're not that large of a church. But one of the things we realized real quickly, the most important thing on your website is service times and your address. In fact, I submit to you, and on our website, we have service times at the top of every single page. Because most, and we get all fancy and creative with our websites, but really, when it boils, if you're a new person, you want to know what time does the service start, and where is this church actually located, right? So you know you can you can be fancy with the rest of it, but make sure that that's on there. And then we used to say that the website is the front door of the church. Anymore, what I'm hearing from new people is, I watched you online. And so if we're going to be a welcoming church, when you are online, or whoever, whoever the pastor is or whoever the lay leader is that's up welcoming people, make sure that you're welcoming the people who are watching online. And sometimes we get a little snarky post-COVID. If you're anything like me, and the, and the lead, leaders in this room will know this. Like, we start to go, hey, if you're watching online, you need to be in the house, you know? Like, get your lazy butt <laughs> off the couch and get into the church building, right? Like, like that's how we kind of get an attitude but what I recognize is sometimes there's a, there's a person watching for the first time every single time. And so we got to be careful that we don't get too snarky with that. And instead, we're just like, man, I'm so glad that you're watching. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Because maybe by welcoming them online, I'm opening a door for them to go, hey, I want to be in the building. I want to I be in the room. I want to see what's going on. Uh, next area, number four is outside. Is your parking lot clearly marked? And I know, listen, our churches don't have a million bucks to do all this. Some, some of you are like, man, we don't, we don't have the money to, you know, reseal our parking lot and put brand new markings. But just look at what you can do regarding your parking. How are the church grounds? Is it, and, and Lance stole this straight. In the summer, is your grass freshly mowed? So I ask our mowing team, Lance said that he has his mowing team to do it on Thursdays. I ask our mowing team to do it on Saturdays. I want, I want when people drive into, that the grass is freshly mowed. Um, you know, those are things that, that are important. Are the weeds pulled? Is clutter visible outside the church? I went to an Assembly of God church recently, and they had, it was like their clutter area. And I'm like, you got, you got to figure out how to hide that somewhere else. That can't be one of the first things that you see when you drive into the driveway. Are the main church doors clearly marked? I went to an Assembly of God church, as a presbyter, I, I get around to a lot of different churches, and I went to an Assembly of God church where I literally tried three different doors, all of them were locked, before I finally figured out the, the correct door, what was the main entrance. And so, and here's the thing, I told the pastor that, and he just kind of laughed and he goes, well, you know, that happens. Well, it's fine, it's fine with me, because I'm not going to his church, right? But if that's a guest... I can imagine that maybe by the second door, someone might be so embarrassed that they pulled and it hasn't opened that they might just decide, I'm just going to get back in my car and leave, right? So one of the things we do at our church is we, have, we buy those, um, what are they, 10-foot, 12-foot flags that you can get. You can get them for like 100 bucks, and we put them out every Sunday morning. We have two of them right on both sides of our main entrance so that from the parking lot, you instantly know that's where the action's happening. They don't cost much, and we take them out, and we put them back in every week so that, so that we can make them last longer. Because in Ohio in the winters, uh, those things would be, you know, leave them out, and you're going to be in trouble. So, so you want to pay attention to the outside. Number five, greeters. Most of our churches have greeters. How many of you guys have greeters at your church? Yep, all right, we, most of us do. Here's the question. Do your greeters know their job description? And mo most of us go, well, their job description is to greet, right? Right? But you got to get a little specific about what does that mean. 
Are greeters allowed to talk to their friends while they're greeting? No, actually no. I don't want my greeters talking to their friends. I want my greeters with their eyes on the door looking for people who are coming in. Do your greeters have emotional intelligence? Can they spot the telltale signs of a new person? Right? Lance touched on this in the, in the session we were in last time. The telltale signs in our church is someone comes in and they're instantly they're looking around trying to figure out where everything is. The people who come in every week, they already know where everything is, and so they just walk in. So our greeters, as soon as they see that, they need to be, hey, man, what's your name? So glad you're here. Do you need help finding anything? Can I help you? Are your greeters empowered to leave their station and to take a family that has a baby or a kid and to actually walk with them to the kids' area instead of saying, oh, yeah, our kids' area is way over there and down the hallway and then turn left and you'll see us past the bathrooms, Right? So we tell our greeters, no, 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 no. No, you're not doing that. You're going to walk them. You're going to talk to them. You're going to find out how old the kids are. You're not going to do it in a creepy way, right? We're not creepy. <laughs> but in a healthy way, we, we want to make sure they get from point A to point B with as little friction as possible, right? Uh, lobbies. And I know this is just, we're just trying to get super like practical here, okay? Is that all right? Number six is lobbies. Unfortunately, my experience is a lot of church lobbies look like disorganized yard sales. So, so think about it. This is the first thing that people are seeing when they walk through the doors of, the, of your church. They'll see maybe an old pew that is broken, and it's like up against a wall over there, but we put it in the lobby because we didn't know where else to put it. Um, bulletin boards that are covered in announcements, tables that are full of flyers and books because we have members in our church that buy this stuff, and they want us to put it out there, and we don't know how to say no, so we let it just keep accumulating. Here's what I found. If you have more than two things on a table... People don't even see it anymore. If, if you have more than two things on a bulletin board, have you ever been at a post office and a post you know, the bulletin board is just covered with announcements. Do you see any of it? No, it's so full of stuff that you don't see any of it. That's what we, we've got to simplify what is in our lobbies. We've got to make it just what are the main things that we want people to see in our lobbies. What do you want them to see? What do you want them to experience as they come through the front doors? Engage the senses of your guests. What does your lobby smell like? So I told you, we're in rural America. Our first facility, we rented it for the, our first seven years, was a building that was right next to a pig farm. And so here's the funny thing. I would tell like our district leaders, you know, Pastor John Wooten would come to speak at our church, and I'd say, hey, we're right next to a pig farm. Just wanted to give you a heads up. And then he would come and he'd be like, you were like serious. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not a lying pastor, you know? Like, like I mean, it, the pig farm's here. Our church is right here. And so one of the things we did is we went to Bath and Body Works and got those plug-in, you know, smelly things. And we, we put those things all, now you have to be careful because you don't want to over, uh, over, yeah, overdo the scents and stuff. But I want them walking in and going, oh, it smells good in here. You know, oh, it's, you know, pay attention to, do, do you need to shampoo your carpets? Do you need to, do you have clean garbage cans that are in strategic locations? You know, all of these things, how well lit is your lobby? I was in a, a small assembly of God church recently, and you walk into the lobby, and it was just so dark. I said, have, have you thought about changing the lighting? He goes, oh, it'd be too expensive. And I said, what if you just up the LED? I mean, they're, they're old school fixtures, right? So you can put in a high wattage type of LED that doesn't even take that much power. And they did it, and they said, oh, it was, it was so different. But now we have to shampoo our carpets because now, now you can see, right? Like, lighting matters, smell matters, the look of the carpets. If I walk in and the first thing I see is a mess, I'm just kind of guessing that the church is a mess. Right? That might not even be fair. That might not even be true. But I'm making, I'm making assumptions. I know you're not supposed to make assumptions. I know what happens to people who do. But, but we can't help but do that, right? Okay, let's keep going. Signage. How is your Signage. The most important interior signs, if there's three places you're going to direct people to, it would be the worship center, restrooms, and kids' ministry. Worship center, restrooms, and kids' ministry. And you may have the most creative name for a kids' ministry ever, right? I mean, I've heard of a mega church that had a kids' ministry called Wamba Land or something like that. If I'm a guest, I have no idea what Wamba Land is, right? So, so you might have a really creative name for your kids' ministry, but my advice would be just put up a sign that says kids' church or kids' ministry. Because if I'm a guest, I can, I can interpret 
what that means, right? Restrooms. Uh, here's a good rule of thumb for your font, uh, is that your font should be one inch tall for every 10 feet of distance. So sometimes we have signage, but our, 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 the font's way too small, and people can't read it, especially some of our old people in our church, right? I mean, they're already struggling to see things. Like, let's make sure that it's, make, make sure it's a clear font. You, that's not the place to be creative with your fonts, you know? Go with something bold, something readable. Um, and, uh, yeah, what we're trying to do is just take away the friction points. There's a whole lot of people who don't, especially guys, we classically don't want to ask for directions. So if I come into a new church, I don't know anybody in that church, I don't want to have to ask, hey, man, where's the bathroom? Because I have diarrhea, right? Like, <laughs> I, you just... Like, you, you just feel self-conscious. I want to be able to walk in and very clearly know where the bathroom is. I know where the worship center is. If I have kids, I know where the kids' area is. I'm good to go. I don't have to ask any questions. I can feel, I can, I can have some of the friction taken away. Number eight, kids. Oh, man, there's so much to talk about kids, and there's all kinds of synergy sessions that can give you the nuts and bolts on this. But here's the, here's the two main things. Make sure your kids' areas are clean and they are safe. The cleanest places in your church should be your kids' ministry and particularly your nursery. If you, if you don't have money to spend regularly on updating your church, if you, ha- if you can even get a donation from someone in your church, make sure your nursery is regularly updated. If you're going to paint any walls in your church, make sure your nursery walls have a fresh... I'm telling you... Parents come in, and parents today are very particular, right? Like, I remember when I had small kids. It seemed, it's like 100 years ago now, but, man, I, I, I was so careful about where I put my kids. So we rented a location for a little while for our church where we literally brought in, like, a roll of carpet for our nursery area because the floor was disgusting. And we were renting it, and we, didn't, we couldn't do anything about it. So we'd bring in our own roll of carpet every week and spread it out because when the parents came in, we wanted them to see hey, we're trying. Like, we're doing the best that we possibly can. We want your kid to have a good experience, and we want to make sure that it's safe. Um, make, sure, make sure that your church is safe, that you're following all the, the protocols with that. You know, um, but here, I was talking to a friend uh, last week, and, uh, and we were talking, I was telling him I'm doing a session on becoming a welcoming church. And I said, hey, I'm just curious, because I know he's, he's been to some different churches. He's moved around a lot. And I said, what? If you were to talk to a bunch of church leaders about becoming a welcoming church, like, what would you talk to them about? And he said, uh, kids, which that, that wouldn't have registered first for me. He said, kids. I said, well, what about kids? And he goes, well, I'll give you an example. He goes, I was at a really large church, in our, in, not in our community, but in, in the community that he had last lived in. And he said, um, uh, you know, every new multi-million dollar church, everything. It's got all the bells and whistles. The worship team was incredible. Preaching. I mean, this guy could write a book from his sermon. Everything was great. But they had dropped their 11-year-old off in the kids' ministry. And when they went to pick her up, she cried all the way to the car and even most of the drive home. And it turns out she never felt welcomed. She said the kids ostracized her. The leaders never even, like, came over and gave any sense of, hey, who are you, and, you know, can we help you, honey? And so, so I asked him, his name's Brad, I don't know if you know Brad, and I, asked, I said, so Brad, let me ask you this question, uh, would you ever go back to that church? What do you think his answer was? No. no. You, it could be an A plus in every, worship was great, they had the parking people out there with the funny signs, I mean, they had, they had everything going great, but because his daughter had a bad experience, what, he cares more about his daughter than he does about any of that, Right? And here's the thing, if you want to wow parents, make sure their kids have an incredible experience. Make sure sure that there's someone there. That's why we give them, we have something that goes on the stickers that makes the kids' leaders all know that they're a guest. And so we we want our kids' leaders to know, hey, you are helping us to create a welcoming culture in our church. And we can do everything else great, but if these kids aren't welcomed, they're not, mom and dad aren't coming back. This even leads to follow-up. Do you do specific follow-up for your kids that, that is different than the follow-up that you're doing for the adults? So I've heard of churches that, you know, you can send almost anything in the United States Postal Service. You can send coconuts. I mean, you don't even have to put them in a box. You can put a label on a coconut, and the United States Postal Service will send it. So I know of churches that send, like, those bouncy balls that you see, like, in Walmart, and they're always strategically located to drive parents bonkers, right? Like, you know, because a kid has it. You can, you can put a label on there, 
and they will send it, and you don't even have to put it in a box. Um, we send a paper bag that has like balloons in it and all this. And, and what we're trying to do is we want the parents to go, they care about my kids. Because I'll tell you what, if my kids have a good experience somewhere, I'll move heaven and earth. Even if I don't like the preaching, even if the music isn't necessarily my style, if my kids want to come back, I care so much about that, right? And grandparents care so much about that as well. So, so pay attention to the kids' areas. Number nine, bathrooms. <laughs> I make a lot of assumptions about a restaurant by looking at the restroom. I kid you not, last night, I'm not going to here in Polaris because we were here last night, and uh, we went to a restaurant. My wife wanted to go to this restaurant. We waited 40 minutes to get into this restaurant. And the first thing I do, because we waited 40 minutes, is have to go to the bathroom. It was the most disgusting men's bathroom. And this is a nice restaurant. This wasn't McDonald's. And we walk, and, and I didn't want to stay. I was like, can we? And my wife's like, we just waited 40 minutes to get in here. I'm like, I, I don't even want to, like, if the bathroom looks that bad, what's the kitchen look like, right? People make a lot of assumptions about bathrooms. And so your church's restroom is going to tell your guests a lot about the stewardship of your church. Now, again, we, we, a lot of us aren't from churches where you have thousands of dollars just to throw around. But can you make sure that somebody is checking on the restroom before the service starts? Can you make sure that the garbage is empty, that there's plenty of toilet paper, that there's soap, that there's paper towels, that it is as clean as you can possibly get it? How does it smell? Oh, I hate going into bathrooms that smell bad. I don't know. It's OCD. I can't tell you how important this is. Some of your churches have multiple services, and you might do a good job before the first service making sure it's clean. You need to do your due diligence to make sure in between services that the bathrooms are clean, right? I'm telling you, it, it doesn't seem very spiritual, but it matters, right? And you can, you can cause somebody to, to, to have a good experience through that. Let's keep going. Number 10 is uh, the service itself. Where are we at with time? Keep trucking, right? We have until, what, 2.30? Okay, we're going we're gonna to get through this. Number 10, the service. Now, okay, so far we've just been talking about all the, all the periphery stuff. Let's talk about your service. The basic idea here is to avoid an insider mindset. And I can't tell you how easy it is for us to get an insider mindset. It's so easy. We have to avoid it. So we usually have greeters in the lobby, but is our congregation friendly inside the worship center? So Tom Rayner, who's a guy who does research on churches and stuff, he says this. He says, guests feel most uncomfortable after they enter the worship center and sit down. No one speaks to them any longer. Typically, no one sits with them. And because many of the members arrive late or right at the beginning of the service, the guests feel alone. Now, this is so important. In fact, we just, by, by doing this research, I was convicted of this point. Like, we do such a good job of greeting out in our lobby, but when the people are in the, in the worship center. So here's what, we had a membership meeting last Sunday night, a, a membership celebration, and uh, I looked at our members and I said, all right, I'm going to give you guys all a job. This is your homework. From now on, you are responsible for your row, the row in front of you, and the row behind you. I'm not asking you to greet everybody in the church. I'm just asking you to greet the people in your row, the row in front of you, and the row behind you. Now, here's a cool thing. Most people sit in the same places every Sunday, right? right? You have the few outliers, you know, the few, few weirdos. But most people, I kid you not, last Sunday morning, I'm watching a lady counting. the. She's like, one, two, three. Okay, this is my row. Right? She, she, like, she knows her row. So, so it, this doesn't have to be hard. It's just a matter of being conscious of the people in my row, the row in front of me. And, the, and if we can get a culture in our churches where at least our committed people are doing this, it, at the very least, we're taking care of a good percentage of the room, right? And that, that would be so huge. And, and by greeting, once I begin to know who people are, so like Josiah comes in, and hey, Josiah, how are you doing? And hey, Josiah, are you married? Hey, Josiah, wh where's your wife at, man? I, oh, she's homesick. Oh, could you please tell her that I said, hey, you know, that, that we miss her today? Josiah walks out. Maybe he's only been coming a couple months, but now he feels cared for. He feels seen. He feels heard. And I'm telling you, he'll come back. Yeah. The, part of welcoming isn't just all the other stuff. We've got to welcome people in the room as well. One uh, Sunday, I, I happened to be standing near the back when worship was starting, 
And so the, the singing had already started. I'm in the back row. I didn't have an assignment of preaching that morning. And um, I noticed at the very end is this guy standing there by himself, and I'm, I, I didn't recognize him. But that doesn't mean anything in our context because with two services, there's people who come all the time that, that, I, that I don't know. And so I'm in, I'm in the back, and, and I see him. And I just, do you know that the nudge of the Holy Spirit where you're like, I got to go, I got to go say hey to this person. And then you start having this inner argument because you're like, well, the singing's already started. He looks like he's kind of in a zone. I don't want to disrupt him, you know, like, and I just felt, so I, I finally go over to him and I'm like, hey man, I, I don't know if I've met you because that's my lead. I don't say, you know, so, hey, I don't know if I've met you. My name's Ken. And he goes, no, you never met me. Um, he tells me his name and he says, um, so, so I said, well, what, what brought you here this morning? He goes, I just dropped my girlfriend off at work. And I was driving by your church, and today is the one-year anniversary of my brother committing suicide. And I just, I just felt like I, I had to be in a church. And, uh, man, we just talked. In fact, I took him out. I kid you not. I took him out in the lobby because I didn't have to preach. And I'm like, who cares about what's going on in the sermon? Like, we're just going to sit. And we, we sat down in the lobby, and we just talked the whole rest of the service. There are so many people like that in our services. I talked to a guy. He's a businessman. And... Um, he, uh, he had lost his four-year-old son, uh, grandson to cancer. And this was now, a couple weeks later, he's traveling on a business trip. And, um, and so he's, he's by himself. And he said, it fine. he goes, I thought I was good, but by being by myself in that business trip, it just really wrecked me. And he goes, so I'm at this church, because he's on a business trip. He's there on a Sunday morning, and he's at a church. And he goes, I bawled like the whole service. And he goes, do you know I walked out of that service and nobody ever asked me, like, if anything was, you know, is, is everything okay? Can I pray for you? He goes, I just was wanting one person to say, hey, can I pray for you? So, so here's the deal. We can be welcoming in every other area. We have got to be welcoming inside the building, inside the room, in the rows of chairs or in the pews or whatever you have in your church. Uh, if you're a Sunday morning communicator, make sure you introduce yourself by name and welcome everyone. Don't just assume everyone knows who you are. And, and if you are a communicator, you're a pastor in this room, man, before the service and after the service, hopefully you've prayed all week. You, you don't need to be praying right up to the start of the service time and then come out like with the holy, holy people. Like, I, here's, you can argue with me. This is my contention. 15, 20, 30 minutes before service starts, I am trying to meet every single person in the room that I possibly can. I'm, and Chris will tell you, I'm out there, I'm shaking hands with people, I'm fist pumping. Hey, I don't know you. What's your name? I'm, I'm just, because it is so important. They will engage with me so much better if, if I've met them before the service than if I just come out some side door once the worship service starts. Um, in an attempt to be more welcoming, most churches include a greeting time in their service. How many of you guys have a greeting time in the middle of your service, maybe after worship? Um, ironically, according to Tom Rainer's research, the stand and greet time is the most anxiety-provoking time of the service for a guest. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying, don't hear me say get rid of it. I'm just saying we have to think through that it is an anxiety-provoking time. So this summer I took a couple weeks off, and I took one of my daughters to a church about an hour away from us, and we're in this church on a Sunday morning, and they do this, you know, greet the people around you, and it's me and my daughter standing there, and no one turned around to us. What I noticed is they all turned around to each other, right? And then it got even worse because it went on and on and on. I could have left that church, gone to Starbucks, bought a drink, come back, and the greeting time would still be going. So me and my daughter are just, you know, just kind of awkwardly. Finally, we sit down. We're the only people sitting down. People are all talking to each other. They don't know I'm a pastor. I didn't come in with my sweatshirt that said I'm a pastor that morning. Uh, nobody knows who I am. And so I'm just thinking, like, if, if I was a lost person, someone who didn't know Jesus, that would have been so hard. So here's what we still do, our greeting time. We keep them super short. As soon as the peak hits, we stop it. So as soon as we hear, we go, all right, hey, we're going to move on to the next part of our service. Because I would rather the extroverts go, oh, man, because the introverts are all going to be like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Right? Right? So that's so important. Um, contact information is gold. And so for us, 
the, one of the greatest things in welcoming people is I want their contact information. And I want to do almost anything I can do to get their contact information. So because we were a small church, we started doing something where we have connection cards in the, backs of, uh, in the pockets in the backs of every chair. And so we ask everybody to grab a connection card every single Sunday morning and fill it out. And I, I know some people don't like this. I, we love to do it because what we have found is that if everybody is filling it out, our guests are so much more likely to fill out a card. If they, see, if they see everybody around them grabbing a card and filling it out. So one of the things that we did to help create this culture in the beginning was we did something called one for one. Uh, so we would just say, hey, this morning for every card that is filled out and put at the white buckets on the way out today, for every card that's filled out, we're giving a dollar to the Liberty Center which is our local um, homeless shelter. Or we're giving a dollar to Heartbeat, which is a pregnancy resource center. We always try to find something in the community that even guests would have heard about before. And we say, for every connection card you fill out, we're giving a dollar to that. Now on big Sundays, like Resurrection Sunday, Christmas Eve, we'll say we're doing $2 or $3 for every one card that's filled out. We started doing, now we don't do that every Sunday. We'll do that occasionally. But what, what we did was we created the culture where people for the most, pretty much everyone in the room will fill out one of those cards. And then it serves for a greater purpose because we don't collect them until they're leaving at the end of the service. And we have a place that says my next step on the bottom. And this is where if people have made a commitment to follow Christ or they're reaffirming a relationship or they want information on baptism, they can check that. But most people aren't going to do that until the end of the service. So if we receive our connection cards with an offering before we even get to the sermon, we miss out on all that, right? So contact is uh, uh, gold. Um, another, and you guys all know this, but if you're in the middle of a series, don't assume everybody knows what you've already talked about last week. Take a few minutes to bring guests up to speed. Don't assume, Lance did such a good job with this in the last session, uh, don't assume that everybody knows your biblical references because more and more people don't know. You can't just as an aside throw out David and Goliath because there are people in the, I promise you, the people in the room are going, I have no idea who David and Goliath are. Noah, is that a character from a, you know, a new TV show on ABC? Like what, 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 what is that? So if you're going to throw out a reference, you have to take a few minutes to unpack that so they don't feel like idiots. Because otherwise they feel like everybody knows what's going on in the room except for me. And they start feeling stupid. And I don't want our guests feeling stupid, right? Um, in your sermon preparation, one of the things that helped me, because I was not naturally good at this, is uh, I started bringing in a team of people to, to go over the rough drafts of my sermon um, several days before Sunday morning. And, and this is because, number one, I, I wasn't that great of a communicator, still is a struggle. But um, number two, I'm looking at things through a certain set of lenses, and I needed, I needed other people to tell me, how is this sounding from your perspective? Someone who's younger than me, someone who's had different life experiences, uh, a female's perspective, right? Like I, and so one of the things that we do, and anybody can do this. We did this when we were a church of very, very few people. Um, I've got a guy who works as a physical therapist at the hospital. He comes in. I got another person, uh, our worship leader, who's a woman. She comes in. And so I'll go through my rough draft, and they help me so much by saying, I didn't understand this. I didn't understand this. Don't you think this would be better at the end? And I take all that, and they make me sound so much better than I do. So, so instead of getting the correction after I preach the sermon, and I've already preached it to 20 people, or 200 people, or 500 people, I get the correction ahead of time. So now I can come in on Sunday morning, and I can change things up. Saturday night, the Holy Spirit can lead me to do something completely different, and he has. So I'm not, this isn't taking the Holy Spirit out of this. It's just saying, hey, we want to put our best foot forward. Um, don't use inside lingo. If you're going to reference AG, or OMN, or BGMC, or AGWM, make sure, just take the few minutes, hey, we're... Talking about BGMC. BGMC stands for Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. Now the person in the room doesn't feel stupid, right? Okay? Uh, end well. Give your congregation a blessing. Remind them about the connection cards. Try to greet as many people as you possibly can as they're leaving. Number 11. How are we for time? Man. Uh, names. So number 11 is names. Back in the 80s, we learned that sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You're welcome. You're going to have that song in your head now. And so I am relentless. I spend so much time trying to memorize names. 
So we told you about the connection cards. My uh, administrative assistant gives me a report from the connection cards. And uh, I'll, any new names that are on that report, I go to Facebook. Because in rural America, Facebook is our community directory, right? <laughs> and I know in other areas, Facebook is like so like 19 or 2012 or whatever. Um, I'll, I'll go on Facebook, and nine out of 10 times, I can find that person on Facebook. I screenshot a picture of them. I change the file name to their name. I dump it into a folder. And then I use that folder like flashcards. Saturday, tonight, I'll be going through my folder. And then tomorrow morning, before the first service, I'll be going through that folder. And here, here's where this is gold. So there's this man and this woman who comes to our church. They're a little older named Fred and Gloria. And uh, the first week they come in, I meet them. They tell me their name's Fred and Gloria, but it's out of my brain, right? Because there's so many things going on. Well, I do my flashcards. Next week they come in, so this is now their second Sunday coming to Journey, and I greet them at the doors with, hey, Fred and Gloria, it's so good to see you, right? That's nothing for us, right? So I'm at the elementary school the next day going to mentor my student, and this teacher comes up to me, and she goes, she goes, I got to tell you something. I'm like, all right. She goes, Fred and Gloria are my parents. And she goes, all afternoon, you want to know what they were talking about? They could not believe that the pastor of the church knew their names on their second time there. Fred and Gloria have been back every single Sunday since then. This was probably about five weeks ago. I'm telling you, people, if you can know their names, so I, we do cheat sheets. We have index cards strategically hidden all over our church for our members. And I tell our members, take an index card, because we tell them to know the names of the people in the row in front of them, their row, the row behind them, right? I already covered that. And so I tell them, when they tell you their name, you better write it down, because you'll forget it. And so I've got an index card, right? I mean, this is just covered with names. And this is my cheat sheet. I'll have this in my pocket. And if I can't remember their names, I'm going, I need, OK, yeah. And so she's coming around, hey, Anitra, how are you doing, right? I know I'm cheating. You know, who knows what, what Jesus will say in eternity about that. But I'm prioritizing <laughs> like Anitra, right? And so, so having those names, don't trust your memory. Have some cheats in the process. OK, last one is follow up. And I know this has been covered in other, other sessions. So here's what I would say. If you're going to be a welcoming church, you're going to have a welcoming culture, you've got to follow up on those names. And so we use a service called Text in Church. It automates text messages that get sent out. Uh, you can check that out. Um, so here's what I want you to do. Before you go, on the bottom of your notes, there's a space that says, what is your one thing? And I want you to take, we're going to give you about one minute. And from everything that I just threw at you, what's one thing? that maybe you can sit down with your ministry team, or maybe it's something for you just to think about strategically. Maybe it's in even an area where you ask, want to ask some more questions of other people from your ministry team. But what's one thing that you guys could do to just help create a more welcoming uh, culture in your church? I'm going to challenge you to actually write that down. Because we know when you write it down, you're going to be so much more likely to remember it. So write, go ahead and write down what is the one thing that you need to take away from this.